For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow. Sixteen Bodhisattva Precepts of Sodoza. The three refuges, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. The three pure precepts, I vow to embrace and sustain right contact, I vow to embrace and sustain all good, I vow to embrace and sustain all beings. The ten grave precepts, a disciple of Buddha does not kill. A disciple of Buddha does not take what is not given. A disciple of Buddha does not misuse sexuality. A disciple of Buddha does not lie. A disciple of Buddha does not intoxicate mind or body of self or others. A disciple of Buddha does not speak of faults of others. A disciple of Buddha does not praise self at the expense of others. A disciple of Buddha is not possessive of anything. A disciple of Buddha does not harbor ill will. A disciple of Buddha does not disparage the three treasures. Good evening, everyone. So we had some interesting technical difficulties uh, getting the documents to out. Uh, this is the 21st century, I guess. So anyway, I'm going to talk about stuff from the, thir- from the 1200s and the 1600s tonight. So, um, so a, a few of you maybe were at uh, Douglas's talk yesterday morning. In which you talked about the story. Yes. 
Um, so when you are ruffling your papers around, you're ruffling them over the microphone. So just okay. the scratching noise. So it makes it hard okay. to hear. So thank you. Okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll try and do better. <laughs> um, can you hear me now? Okay. So, um, yeah, so uh, yesterday Douglas spoke about the um, story that's case 23 in the, in the Gateless Barrier about uh, the sixth ancestor uh, telling the, the uh, monk who had tried to uh, uh, chase after him and, and take the robe and bowl away to not to don't think of good or bad and turn the light within. So this is a basic meditation instruction in all of Soto Zen and beyond uh, to uh, not get involved in judgments, to not get involved in opinions and right and wrong and good and bad, and to take the backward step, as Dogen says, to turn the light inwardly to illuminate the self. This is a basic, our basic Zen instruction. And this, uh, following this, we can, uh, as uh, the sixth ancestor said, see our original face. So we connect with the ultimate by just letting go of our judgments and our opinions and all of that um, and seeing the ultimate, the, in, the deep interconnectedness of all of us and all things, which this uh, Zoom window and um, uh, the pandemic and various things have demonstrated to us recently. So here we are, some of us in Chicago, uh, two people in California, uh, somebody from Cleveland. It's uh, We're all here together. Anyway, um, okay, uh, I want to talk tonight about the other side of our practice, which is uh, how do we express that, that deeper awareness in the world in the streets of Chicago or Cleveland or wherever we are, um, how do we um, what how do we dis- discern what's going on in the world and following our Bodhisattva vow, try to help, try to relieve suffering. And so the the teaching about that that goes back to the Buddha is the precepts, and the version of the precepts that we follow the 16 precepts that uh, Alex just uh, chanted for us that go back to Ehe Dogen in the early, in the 1200s. Um, there are sources for, for those, but as a, as a group, those 16 come from Dogen. I want to talk tonight about another text from Dogen called the Kyoju Kaimon, which is an uh, essay on teaching and conferring the precepts. Uh, this is a text about these precepts from the point of view of, uh, you could say, the ultimate. Um, so this text, um, we don't know if Dogen himself wrote it down, but it seems like his uh, successor, Koan Ejo, put it together based on things he heard Dogen say about the precepts. So... Uh, Alex, could you screen, screen share that, please? And I'm going to just start by 
Um, I want to I want to talk about the background of this, but I want to start by uh, this. We all, we have the first page here, uh, and it may be hard to read, but I'm going to just read it aloud. Uh, the first half first, and maybe we'll get to the second half of it. And actually, I'm hoping to do a series of talks on Kyoju Kaimon, not necessarily consecutively, but in the next few months. Um, but this is to start this. So uh, the text goes, the great precepts of all Buddhas have been protected and maintained by all Buddhas and have been mutually entrusted from Buddha to Buddha, mutually transmitted from ancestor to ancestor. Receiving the precepts goes beyond the three names. Confirming the precepts penetrates throughout past and present. Our great teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, conferred them upon Mahakashapa. Mahakashapa conferred them upon Ananda, and so on. In this way, the precepts have been legitimately conferred up to the present teacher as the 94th generation successor. So the, I'm 94th in the lineage of Shakyamuni Buddha. Uh, and again, this is the story about the transmission of the precepts and the Dharma from Shakyamuni to Mahakashapa to Ananda. And we have sometimes chanted the names of the ancestors from Shakyamuni through Shunri Suzuki Roshi, Shokaku Shunri Dayosho. Um, and um, well, uh, anyway, well, I, I think I'm back to talking about that and, and the historicity of it, but that's not so important really, in terms of the heart of the precepts. Uh, Dokin goes on to say, now I confer these precepts upon you through which you respectfully repay Buddhas and ancestors for the depth of their benefaction and everlastingly become a leader for human and heavenly beings. After all, you are able to inherit the wisdom life of Buddhas and ancestors. And then he goes on to say, respectfully, in virtue of the testimonial of Buddhas and ancestors, you should take refuge in the triple treasure and repent. Sincerely repeat the words after me. And we already just chanted these uh, repentance, this repentance verse, all my ancient twisted karma. Uh, and he says, as already verified by Buddhas and ancestors, the karma of body, speech, and thought has been purified and you have attained great immediacy. This is due to the power of repentance. So then he goes on to talk about um, the triple treasure and various versions of the triple treasure. Uh, but I want to go back to some of the history of all this. Um, so, uh, Alex, would you show the, the, uh, uh, the document about uh, Soto's history? So um, that's the one about the, the um, Soto teachers. I, I think you have it. At any rate, I'll, I'll proceed. Uh, we sometimes think in Soto Zen, there it is, that, um, you know, there's a, a, slate, a straight line from Dogen down to Suzuki Roshi to us. Uh, but these precepts actually uh, were verified and and um, enha enhanced in the Soto school 
through the work of a number of teachers in the 1600s, the 1700s. So I'm just going to mention their names. Uh, Geshe was important in uh, reviving a lot of Dogen's. Uh, so this is not going to be a test on this, but I, but just for your information, just to know that that, that there is a long tradition of Soto Zen in Japan. Uh, these teachers are not in our particular lineage of Dharma teachers, but they are actually our ancestors in terms of uh, preserving these precepts. So Geshe Soko uh, was important in in uh, reviving Dogen studies, which uh, revived in the 1600s. And his student was Manzan Dohaku, and his student was Menzan Zuiho. It's very important who wrote a lot about uh, Dogen and the precepts. And they were these te- these teachers were uncovering um, really uh, Dogen's teaching and, and Shobo Genzo and reviving it uh, for uh, general use in Soto Zen. Uh, it had been there, but it hadn't been a focus as much. Another important teacher was Bunjin Dotan. Um, uh, who was, um, as you see, 1698 to 1775, he wrote a number of important texts that that have to do with the transmission of the Dharma. And I can say more about uh, all of these uh, teachers, uh, but I I wanted to come to Oka Sotan. I don't have the exact dates, but he was around 1900. And I'm mentioning him because I'm going to read something from a text that he wrote called Zen Kaisho, which is comments on the Zen precepts. And, um, oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Oka Sotan is interesting and important. He was a Soto uh, teacher, again, around 1900. And he wasn't the Dharma teacher, but he was pre- the, stu- the study teacher of uh, th- the th- three most important 20th century Soto Zen figures. Um, and the, these three, there, there's a famous, uh, there was a famous uh, practice period or ongo where the three of them were all there. And I forget who, which was which, but one of them was the Eno, one of them was the Tenzo, one of them was the uh, Jisha. Uh, I forget exactly. But I want to mention these three just as a way of introducing uh, how this, is, this has to do with how we understand uh, precepts because uh, well Hashimoto Eko uh, was um, one of the three and he's the teacher who um, his uh, branch of 20th century Soto Zen these weren't different schools they were all inter inter uh, connecting but he emphasized ceremony and ritual and doing ceremony um, properly and his uh, he was the teacher in of uh, Katagiri Roshi's lineage. So Katagiri Roshi was particularly interested uh, in ceremonies, and uh, and uh, uh, I did a practice period with one of Hashimoto Eka's uh, uh, disciples in 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 uh, Japan, and the monks there were teaching me how to do various forms and talked about doing each thing beautifully. <laughs> so performing ceremonies, not just for the sake of uh, the 
the congregation to get the congregation to support them, but as a way of expressing something beautiful, the way that the precepts are expressions. So Wakikoto Roshi was the teacher of Uchiyama Roshi, who is Shohaku Okamura's teaching teacher. Shawaki Koto Roshi's branch was the branch that emphasized just Sazen. Sazen, Sazen. Uh, Sawaki Koto was known as Homeless Koto because he wandered around for most of his life uh, teaching about Sazen to, in various Soto temples. Eventually, he became the abbot of Antaiji, which is an important uh, Soto monastery that's still there. Um, and Uchiyama Roshi Shohaku's teacher emphasized uh, this kind of uh, what uh, no toys kind of Sazen. So the way Shohaku leads Sazen, I think still in Bloomington, or his his disciple, and the way he did it in the temple in Japan, where I translated with him, every hour is 50 minutes of Zazen, then 10 minutes of Kinhin. And during Sashin, there's no Doksan, there's no Dharma talks, there's no ceremonies or chanting or anything. It's just Zazen, just Zazen. Um, so that's the way Shohaku teaches too, and it's it's powerful. And uh, anyway, that's that's a, a second branch. Kishizawa Ian was Suzuki Roshi's teacher, which is partly why I'm talking about all this. Kishizawa Ian um, emphasized Zazen, but he also emphasized study. He was a Dogen scholar. Um, and so uh, we, there's a kind of studying side of our, of our, our practice in Suzuki Roshi lineage. Again, these are not sharp distinctions. These are matters of emphasis. And, uh, but these are the three main trends in 20th century Soto Zen. I want to come back to Oka Sotan now. So uh, would you please uh, put up the, uh, Alex, put up the uh, Kyojukon again. Uh, actually, uh, no, uh, wait, wait on that. I, I will look at that in a bit, but I want to read something from Oka Sotan in his, on his teaching about Zen precepts. And, and the point of this is that, uh, so let me say something else. Uh, we're used to thinking of these uh, Zen precepts in terms of, uh, we kind of emphasize these 10 grave teachings, these 10 grave precepts, not to kill, not to not to steal, not to uh, uh, misuse sexuality, not to speak falsehoods. Not, there's a different order that, that Dogen has in Kyoju Kaiman, not to intoxicate mind or body of self or others, not to discuss faults of others, not to slander, not, not being possessive and so forth. And uh, I think in the West, we emphasize these as kind of ethical guidelines. And that's you know, kind of appropriate, and they're very helpful that way. Uh, and again, we we emphasize that they're not like the Ten Commandments. They're not prescriptions or rules. They're kind of guidelines for us to feel when we feel like we're harboring ill will or anger, or when we're feeling like we're being possessive. Uh, so uh, these guidelines are very helpful. But what I want to say is that in Soto Zen, in our tradition, uh, the, receiving these precepts, which a number of you have done informally, is not about ethical guidelines so much. Receiving these precepts is a way of 
connecting to Buddha. So we can see that in terms of the first three precepts, taking refuge in Buddha, taking refuge in Dharma, taking refuge in Sangha. In some sense, all of them are expressions of, I take refuge in Buddha. So uh, whether or not you've formally done this ceremony of of receiving these precepts, these are part of, or these are the expression of our zazen. So our zazen is turning the light within to illuminate the self, taking the backward step, but it's also then getting up from the cushion, or even when we're on the cushion, seeing the various uh, thoughts and feelings that arise within ourselves. So this is, these precepts are not just about externals. They're about how do we see Buddha here. So taking refuge in Buddha is the basic point. And the way these receiving these precepts has been understood traditionally in Soto Zen in Japan and still in Japan uh, is not, not really in terms of ethical guidelines, but in terms of connecting to something important. And it's within us. Buddha nature is not inside or outside or in between, but it's also um, these ancestors, you know, the, the sense of continuing this practice all of these people are part of how it is that we can do this practice here in Chicago or wherever you are. Um, so um, taking care of Buddha is what we do when we, uh, I, I was going to say after, but it's not before or after, but in the context of turning the light within, taking the backward step, uh, we take care of Buddha. We recognize Buddha. We realize Buddha. Buddha is not something that I can have. It's not, you know, that some people have Buddhahood or something like that. It's the way things is. And yet uh, we need to do this practice to realize that. Most people running around in the world seeking after material goods or whatever don't take time to see. So I want to read something from Okasotan uh, in his uh, writing about uh, Zen Kaisho, writing about these precepts. And this first, this first phrase is kind of, um, a, is a quote from Geshu, who I mentioned. And Okasotan says that this is the heart of the precepts. So I did a couple times. Sentient beings receive the precepts and unite with all Buddhas. All Buddhas responding to the capacity of sentient beings unite with them. Sentient beings and Buddhas are merged and there is no inside or outside. Present, past, and future are themselves naturally complete. So I'll read that again. Sentient beings receive the precepts and unite with all Buddhas, all Buddhas responding to the capacity of sentient beings, recognizing the differences between different sentient beings, unite with them. Sentient beings and Buddhas are merged, and there is no inside or outside. Present, past, and future are themselves naturally complete. 
so this dimension of time is is invoked here in various ways the just the lineage of ancestors and these people both the ancestors we chant and then uh these japanese people from the early 1900s uh, as well as the, the Japanese teachers in the 1600s, and, of course, many in between, uh, each one is naturally present. And we are connected through by them to past, to present, and to future. They inform, they help inform what we can appreciate in our presencing of taking the backward step. So, again, just to take refuge in Buddha, just to come home to Buddha, it's the first precept. And functionally, kind of socially, <laughs> in uh, Jukai ceremonies in Japan, that's the point. You connect with the lineage. You connect with the lineage that goes back to Buddha. So we're all, as the sutras say, children of Buddha. And uh, in the Heikoso Hutsuganman, another chant by Dogen, uh, he says, uh, Buddhas and ancestors of the past, whereas we, we in the future will be, will be Buddhas and ancestors. So how do, so this is, uh, this practice is about space in a lot of ways, but it's also very much about time. Appreciating these people in the past who made this possible for us and appreciating how we are uh, related to the Buddhas of the future. Uh, this is our work. And of course, nowadays in the middle of uh, uh, all the stuff that we know about, you know, the, the climate destruction, environmental destruction, the uh, threat of fascism in our country, uh, all of the the uh, uh, response to the history of slavery and racism in our country, um, you know, it feels um, like a perilous time, and it is. And we have, and we, and the precepts help us to see. Well, okay, how can I respond to some of that, to any of that, to all of that, uh, via sangha in a way that is um, grounded in this deeper awareness from turning the light within. So this is the dynamic of the precepts. How do we take on um, not killing or supporting life from the place of the backward step, the realizing of that which goes beyond past, present, and future, and it includes past, present, and future. So I'm going to read that uh, that phrase, that sentence from Geshe Soko again, that Okasotan quotes, and then I'm going to read Okasotan's comment on it. So Geshe Soko said, sentient beings receive the precepts and unite with all Buddhas. All Buddhas responding to the capacity of sentient beings unite with them. Sentient beings and Buddhas are merged and there is no inside or outside. Present, past, and future are themselves naturally complete. So we are not separate from the beings around us, including the ones who we may have very different opinions from, but how, how do we see that we are connected? 
So that, that statement from Geshe Soku, Okasotan praises, and then he says about this, quote, receive and receiving the precepts means awakening. Precepts is the Buddha nature. Sentient beings awakening to the Buddha nature is called receiving the precepts. Therefore, when one has awakened to the Buddha nature, it is the passing down of the precepts and teachings from master to disciple. This does not necessarily mean waiting for the three times or the repentance ceremony. If that were the case, the interpretation of the precepts in the three times ceremony would become obsolete. Then our lofty ancestors' hopes would not be realized. Conforming with the three times ceremony is awakening to Buddha nature. I'll say that again. Conforming to the, with the three times ceremony is awakening to Buddha nature. While awakening to Buddha nature is not performing the three times ceremony. So this is a kind of puzzling sentence. Um, but, but he's saying conforming to this ceremony in the three times, which is our precept ceremony, um, is awakening Buddha nature. But awakening to Buddha nature is not performing this ceremony. This is what it has to be, Okasotan says. Where people see their own nature, they unite with the Buddhas. This is the same as sentient beings receive the Buddhist precepts and attain the rank of Buddhas, and that rank is the same as great awakening. All Buddhists respond to the capacity of sentient beings means that Buddhists explain the precepts in a way that corresponds with the spiritual capacity of sentient beings and manifests the wisdom within sentient beings. One should be aware that that rank is the same as great enlightenment from the Brahmajala Sutra in the fourth century. Here is the same as that rank is the same as sentient beings. So that's sort of a mouthful, but he's talking about how uh, this awakening to Buddha nature, when we turn the light within to illuminate the self, is itself the precepts, is itself awakening. It is Buddha. And uh, how do we appreciate it and take care of it? So taking care of it, you know, in the beginning of the Song of the Jewel Mary Samadhi, he says that the, the Dharma of suchness is intimately transmitted by Buddhists and ancestors. Now you have it, preserve it well. So how do we take care of Buddha? This is the question. <laughs> and, of course, we're already taking care of Buddha. <laughs> All of you here, just by being here, are taking care of Buddha. How do we appreciate and enjoy taking care of Buddha. Taking care of Buddha means responding to the suffering in the world. Taking care of Buddha means, as we sit zazen, responding to our posture and tightness in our shoulders and uh, pain in our knees or whatever, uh, feeling our openness and uprightness. That's taking care of Buddha. So this is in zazen, and when we get up from zazen, when we're walking, when we're chanting, 
And when we're face to face with the people around us who are uh, in distress, and in this pandemic time, there's plenty of distress, and even those of us with relatively little distress, we're all kind of traumatized. And so we have to face that. So so this sense of precepts, not just as specific ethical guidelines, but as a really deep communion with the processing of Buddha. Now, later, before, here in Chicago, there in L.A., with Amina in, in in Cleveland with Co and Deborah, you're in the Bay Area. So all those places are connected and every other place too. And now uh, Okasotan and uh, Geshu Soko and, and all these teachers who've given that to us are encouraging us to take care of Buddha. How do we take care of Buddha? And Partly it's just settling, finding our inner basic equanimity, but also not ignoring, not being blind to cause and effect and all of the suffering in the world. So just turning, returning home to Buddha is, is what this is primarily about. And uh, again, as I was saying, in Japanese Soto Zen in the past and still, this has to do with with, with um, connecting to a particular lineage. And we do that too. We connect to the lineage that Shunri Suzuki Roshi brought from Japan to California. But um, this, this idea of lineage is deeper than that too. How do we connect with Buddhas of all times and all places? So some of us have been reading the Flower Ornament Sutra, which talks about 10,000 Buddhas on the tip of every blade of grass or in every atom, Buddhas and Bodhisattvas everywhere. Uh, and you know, it's hard to get our wrap our heads around that, and that's okay. That's not the point. The point isn't to have some intellectual understanding of all this, although, you know, that's possible and it's okay and it might be helpful to some of us, but uh, how do we actually feel it? In our shoulders, in our belly, and in our interactions with uh, the people around us. How do we take care of Buddha? So that's, so, oh, but what I was going to say is um, he's he's talking about um, Buddha's uh, res- responding to the capacity of sentient beings. So um, what's important for us is how do we find what's true and genuine in our own bodies and in our own practice, in our own time? Buddhism changed, the Dharma changed, transformed Maybe in some sense, the Dharma is just always the Dharma, this backward step, this deep equanimity. And yet, how we take care of it, it changed when it went from India to China, 
It changed when it went to Korea. It transformed when it went to Japan. And we have to find the way to do it for us. So this is a big challenge. <laughs> you know, we have a difficult, we're living in a difficult world. But uh, it's just, yay Buddha, yay Dharma, yay Sangha. And we're going to have a chance, some of us to actually sit in person together starting next weekend. It's kind of wild after all this time. Um, and and also you're welcome to come on Zoom. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of an adventure to see how this all works out. But we have to find a way to make it real for us here. So I take refuge in Buddha. I take refuge in Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. And uh, the second half of that first of the two pages, which was up on the screen, thank you, Alex, um, talks about, uh, and I won't go into this today, but, you know, there's more in this document. There's, um, he talks about three kinds of virtue to the triple treasure, the single-bodied triple treasure, the manifested triple treasure, and the maintained triple treasure. So uh, there's three aspects of Buddha Dharma Sangha, which uh, Dogen goes into in this Kyoju Kaimon. And we could see them as, um, for what, if, if, these, if these funny Sanskrit words are helpful to you, the Dharmakaya, the Nirmanakaya, and the Sambhogakaya, how do we express and feel Buddha Dharma Sangha? Um, in those three ways. But that's for another day. Um, that's a preview of a coming Dharma talk. Um, I, so um, at this point, I'm interested in any comments, questions, responses that help us to see how we are related to these, these ancient teachings. So... Uh, comments, questions, please feel free. And if all this seems rather abstruse and mysterious to you, please ask questions. There are no such thing as stupid questions in Zen. <laughs> Ed, did I see you getting ready to ask? Yeah, if, if um, yeah, I guess I'll ask a question. Can I, can you hear me? Yes. Well, thank you. Even though you did not mention my place in the world, Humboldt Park, in your review of persons present. Well, I assume that, sh that Chicago was, most of us are in Chicago. Humboldt Park's part of Chicago, isn't it? Oh, is it? <laughs> so I was talking about the people felt, outside Chicago, but we're but yes, Chicago, of course. <laughs> I felt a little marginalized, but anyway, we all feel a little marginalized. That's part of the deal. I think I want to be with Deborah in the Bay Area. <laughs> you're but, here. Um, you're there. 
You know, I guess it's always interesting, this relationship between the individual, that being myself, as someone conscious and present and living, and a history. And how that history reflects on my own sense of place and time. Uh, and how I relate myself to a history that's been documented, as you've described it. And I don't want to say in a linear fashion, but certainly that's an element of it. And how and what is the history the predicate to me or am I the predicate to the history in a sense? And of course, I think that's somewhat of an unanswerable question. And you also invite the notion that the precepts originate in the individual soul primarily not in an external compliance or form of compliance. Although that might be a bias of yourself versus the tradition. Just to respond to that part of what you said, um, it's not, it's neither inside, outside or in between, right? It's not, it's not me. So it is, it's all of it. It's each one of us, each, each box in the zooms (laughs) zoom window. And and it's the history, and it's those the names of those past people. And I didn't say the names of the future people who will keep this going. I don't know their names yet. But the history is, you know, it's not, the history is not, you know, you were talking about this linear sense. Um, John McKay, a great um, Buddhist scholar who's now passed, uh, was talked about the string of pearls fallacy. So when we talk about um, the, the names that we chant, it seems like there was one to one to one to one. But actually, each one represents a sangha. And, and each teacher in the various lineages had, many of them anyway, had numbers of teachers, as have had many of the people at Ancient Dragon's Endgate. So it's not, uh, it's not linear. It's history, but it's history right here now. This is history. Right now, you are history. Um, and yet, you know, we, I, we can talk about the, these names of these people, but, uh, you know, and, and appreciate how they expressed it, and then how do we express it? So, um, yeah, anyway, I, I think I got lost there and I missed some of your question. Um, Thank you. Was there something else, Ed, that I did not respond to? Well, I think you were suggesting that there's an invitation. It seemed to me, at least how I interpret it, that there's an invitation to participate in that nonlinear tradition as a nonlinear being myself, a consciousness that actually does not subject to a measurable place and time. Yes. Uh, You know, and it's both. We also have particular places and time, like Humboldt Park, 2021, November. But we're also um, connected to something that is really deep and intimate. Um, We're all children of Buddha. We're all expressing Buddha each in our own way, together. Other comments or questions? I had a question. Yes. 
my next, am I next? So I got, I was curious about, for some reason, using the phrase, the backward step, which is used in a sutra we chant. I was just caught up with that. And I was curious how you'd comment on that in this context you're using. Well, that's a particular meditation instruction. So usually, for the most part, our attention is focused outside. We are looking and hearing, and there's a world of so-called the environment, so-called objects. We think of it as objects, as dead objects. Of course, the environment is totally alive. But our sense perceptions see them as out out there, so-called. So the backward step is just to let go of that or to turn that around, to feel uh, it's not exactly inside. It's not like you're scanning your organs of your body. It's just to feel the presence. So it's turning away from that uh, obsession with the outer. That's not the end of the story, though, because... When we settle into that and open up into that, then we also um, awaken to the precepts, to the Buddha nature precepts, and and, there, and, and thereby um, respond to sentient beings as Buddhas. Okay, thank you. Just curious, um, in this context, I just was paying attention to that phrase. Yeah, it's a good phrase. It is useful. Doesn't this yes, sort Jerry. of let me just say oh we have one more question comment. Doesn't this sort of resonate sure. with the Lotus Sutra with the like this sense of where there's time you know, time is not defined and it's it just seems to resonate with me in hearing your talk this evening. Well, I think everything resonates with the Lotus Sutra. Lotus Sutra. But yeah, the, Lo- <laughs> the Lotus Sutra. That was an easy um, one. <laughs> Buddha, Buddha uh, goes to each disciple and each bodhisattva and eventually says, you're all going to be Buddhas. And and then he goes and says, and says Deborah, you're going to be the Buddha in, uh, in a uh, Buddha field in the north-northwest, about 100 constellations away. And that the name of that Buddha field will be such and such, and the name of you of your uh, of Deborah Buddha will be such and such. And anyway, that's part of what happens. The Lotus it, it, yeah. I don't know, but to me, in hearing you speak, I feel that these uh, parameters are like to me. This kind of drops duality. These sorts of what you were talking about tonight, and that's the Lotus Sutra to me points to that as well. So, yes, but, yeah, I felt with what it's, you were saying. We're using words, but it's not. It's like we're one with the precepts, we're one with the Buddhas. Um, and yet, as you pointed out, the human reality of that we're related to a lineage, which seems so human. So just a, just an observation. So I'll stop. Thank you. Yes, good. Thank you. Jerry? Um, just two things came to my mind. One is, I was intrigued about the three teachers from the 19th century. I am I 20th I like, century. 20th century, I was like, well, who are these people? I'm so used to hearing of teachers from the 12th century that somehow it's like there's the 12th century and now there's now. And so it was interesting to think in a linear sense that there are teachers closer to the linear time I'm in. That So that was intriguing to me. And um, 
The other thing that occurred to me is, you know, I think a lot about all of the people who do work in our sangha, the people like, you know, who go out and find a place to meet in person and all the people on the board and the doans and the kukyos and, and who's make that happen. And the amount of gratitude to have for all of those people who do all of that work to keep the tradition going here in, in our ancient dragon world. And this sort of expands out in a bigger place of, of sort of, the gratitude and the the debt we have to all of those other people who brought it down to here. So the sense of, you know, when you talk about keeping keeping the Buddhas alive, it, you know, it's it's that everyday work that makes this center work that does that. And I just have a lot of gratitude for all of the teachers and doans and you know, lay people and whoever who who actually shows up and does work and makes it happen for us who just, you know, show up. So thank you. Well, thank you, Jerry. But that's actually, I mean, everybody I can see here um, is part of that. And, and each of those teachers who we can name and all three of those main branches of 20th century Soto Zen that I was referring to and all those teachers in the 1600s who were, you know, uh, most of them were sort of scholar monks and were, were studying Dogen and working on these teachings. But to keep their uh, practice going, they, they all had a sangha. You know, some of them, some great teachers in our lineage had eight students. Some had many more. Um, but each one of you, I can see, is, is, has, is doing... Uh, Jerry, you've been on the board. And so has Hogetsu and so has Amina. And um, uh, and Co and Deborah are, are are our assistant directors now, and Michael takes care of our website where we've lived for <laughs> almost two years, and uh, Ed is anyway. I can go on and on. Ed is really helping in terms of looking for a new space to uh, fully inhabit. Uh, and Hogetsu is a sewing teacher who helps people be ready to take Dubai or to, to receive the precepts. Anyway, everybody here is doing a lot. And and that's how it works. So there's nobody, you know, it's not a matter of hierarchy or something like that. It's it's that each one of us as Buddha is is doing what we're doing. And it changes. We take on different jobs at different times. So thank you. Uh, yes, Alex, did you have a question? Um, I, had a, I, I did tag in and, and thank you for the talk, you know, and I think in the Judeo-Christian tradition, I, I, you know, I think I've just always had a tendency to, to connect pre- the precepts to sort of, you know, the Ten Commandments and a list of thou shall not. But um, 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 what, what I was thinking, too, is there's been sort of a widely published um, uh, study in psychology today and elsewhere that um, vegetarians are more 
depressed um, and maybe anxious than meat eaters and, and significantly so. So um, I, I just wondering. Uh, I've heard that. I don't know. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> but you touched a, a, a little bit on uh, your talk, and I'm I'm a vegetarian and and probably anxious and depressed. But um, you touched on a little <laughs> bit of your thought, but and your talk about um, how can um, you know um, uh, turning towards uh, suffering. Um, uh, but not becoming overwhelmed. Do, do you have any comments on, on how to do that? <sighs> it's challenging. I think it's easy to become overwhelmed. There's lots of levels of that. Just, um, you know, looking around at each of you, um, you're all doing a lot. I mean, I, I I know something about each of you, and you're all doing a lot. Uh, Patrick, whose face we can't see, works for the Environmental Protection Agency. It's a huge benefit to all of us. Um, it's easy to be overwhelmed. However, um, there's a kind of turning that can happen, a kind of pivot where we can feel that all of the challenges and all the work are also energizing. We don't always realize that. <laughs> Realizing the precepts is in part seeing that. Um, so, uh, you know, one of my mantras these days is I can't do everything because I there's so many things that <laughs> there are to do uh, everywhere. Um, and yet, Sangha is about we each are doing something and somehow that uh, makes a difference. And not only does it make a difference, it keeps Buddha alive. So, um, you know, I talk, I was talking about the importance of taking refuge in Buddha, but um, really I think uh, that mean, for us that maybe that means taking refuge in Sangha. How do we support and appreciate each other? So, um, so it's challenging, and yet um, Sazen helps. Other comments or questions? Anyone? Um, I was intrigued by the three um, buddies uh, that were together with the same teacher and then took, took the teaching in three different directions. Um, and 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 I I I wonder what piece makes someone love ceremony, another piece loves just the zazen, and another more the scholarly pursuits. Um, and and if if you just if if you just encounter one of the lineages, you think that that's the whole thing, as opposed to that's the filter through a particular teacher from a hundred years ago. Um, I was wondering if you had any reflections on that? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, I, that, uh, since I have understood that, that aspect of 20th century Soto Zen in Japan, uh, that there were these three, they're not linea- they're, they're lineages, but they're, they're not different schools. Certainly they're just emphasis, different emphases. And, um, 
all of them were involved with zazen. All of them were involved with, um, you know, ceremonies in some ways, more or less. All of them were, you know, appreciating Dogen, so study was part of them. So it's a matter of emphasis. It's not so much difference, but um, it's. But it is. I think for me, it's been interesting to see. Because I've 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 practiced with teachers from all three of those embassies, uh, Narazaki Iko from and Katagiri from Hashimoto and Shohaku from um, Sawaki Kodo, and of course all San Francisco Zen Center from so from Suzuki Roshi and Kishizawa Ian. So, but it's just it's just this interesting historical whatever that they all practiced together in this one practice period, and then and then these three teachers were all really great teachers who uh, who inspired others to follow and in some ways carried the, these different emphases. So it's kind of subtle. Uh, and, you know, uh, maybe, you know, there's 10 of us here. Each of us has different aspects of the practice of zazen, of Buddha mind, that we might emphasize in our life. And that's great. That enriches the whole thing. But I, but I think knowing about those three guys, Kishizawa Ian and and they were guys. There were women. There were women who were supporting them all along too, of course. But Kishizawa Ian and Suwaki Kota Roshi and Hashimoto Eko Roshi, um, you know, knowing about them is, I, I think, is, uh, I find helpful anyway. Other comments, responses, questions? We have time for another one if anyone has something to add. Yeah, I was just going to say, I I just think Sangha is so important, um, whether it's on Zoom or in person. And and, and I thank all of you. I'm an outsider physically, but um, for me to have a virtual Sangha with you means so much. It's a huge, huge foundational part of my practice. So I don't know if that's part of your emphasis today, but I, as you mentioned that the these each of these teachers came from a Sangha, it came very alive to me that that is a huge body of people doing, as Jerry pointed out, all sorts of things. And um, for me, it's a deep point of gratitude. So I just wanted to thank all of you, letting these outsiders join you. Thank you. No outside, no inside. <laughs> We're all marginalized <laughs> and we're all right in the center. So, you know, Deborah and Co are, are assist, officially our assistant directors now. You have important positions in the Sangha. Um, and uh, Amina, I want to just appreciate that you uh, are here. Amina was, was, uh, in our, one of our founding members, like Kogetsu, and uh, was on the board way back when. And uh, so even within this, you know, whatever it is, 15 or so years of this Sangha, more, um, you know, we have this, these, these, this history, but it's all right here. So maybe we should do our closing um, for Bodhisattva vows. Um, I just want to say one other thing that um, I, I think it's going to be 
really uh, challenging trying to figure out how to make um, Ebenezer Lutheran Church work for us. It was, you know, it was challenging at first at, at the Seneca. It was challenging at Irving Park at first, at first too. But uh, anyway, so uh, this is an, we're about to embark on an adventure together. <laughs> so, uh, would you please lead us, uh, Alex, in the four body satvam house? Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. <laughs> 